I'm Brian Hu. I'm Ada Singh. And welcome to Saturday School. When your friends are watching Saturday morning cartoons, you're being forced to learn Asian American pop culture history. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to Saturday School. This is our fifth season, and we're talking about Asian Americans in Asia. And for this episode, we have a very special guest. We have Anderson Lay here with us to talk about the film The Rebel. Anderson does lots and lots of things, so I'm going to let you introduce yourself. Thanks for having me. Hey, everyone. What do I do? I'm the artistic director for the Hawaii International Film Festival. I'm a program advisor for a couple other festivals like the LA Asian Pacific Film Festival, the Far East Film Festival at Udine, and the Singapore International Film Festival. Lots of festivals. And I'm Vietnamese-American myself, and I've also um, gone back to Vietnam and produced a few features. worked with Vietnamese-American directors like Ham Tran, who um, went into the scene with uh, Journey from the Fall, and also um, Stefan Gauger, who did All of the Sparrow and Saigon Electric. You're also a contributor for Yum Yum F. Oh, yes, yes, yes. I'm a contributor for Yum Yum F, UFM Me, UFMIFamily.com, and it's a, you know Asian-American entertainment lifestyle blog that was founded by Justin Lin. You cover it all. You do everything. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so basically Anderson is somebody who not only knows film just as a watcher, programmer, critic, but you're also kind of an insider because of your experience as a producer and just being around the community for so long. So we're so excited to have you here. If you guys had listened to our last episode, we talked about Journey from the Fall. So we wanted to go deeper into this because some of the films that we had talked about previously in the season were about Asian Americans in Asia in terms of the storylines on screen, but there's also like a really huge history of Asian Americans going to Asia to make films behind the scenes. And arguably, the Vietnamese-American community has been the most successful at that overseas. So there's a lot to choose from. We asked you which film you'd like to talk about. You chose the 2007 film The Rebel by Charlie Wynn. Can we start by talking about why you wanted to talk about The Rebel? Yeah, um, for The Rebel, I think it's like really was the the impetus for this whole movement of Vietnamese Americans moving back to Vietnam. Um, Charlie Wynn and his brother, uh, Johnny Wynn, they were raised in Orange County in Little Saigon. And, you know, with Little Saigon and the Vietnamese American community there, it's it kind of like its own little mini industry. It's very close to that and having their own in-language entertainment scene. You know, I mean, if you go to any Vietnamese restaurant, and you see, like, it looks like a Vietnamese variety show called Paris by Night that people play on TV or you know, DVD or something like that. That was kind of its own industry in itself. You know, all these Vietnamese variety shows and music videos and short skits and, you know, short films. And also, you know, couple that with the in-language TV market, SBTN, Little Saigon TV, you know, migrated to like satellite TV as well. So there was a lot of work happening in Little Saigon and also other parts of the country. But, you know, with, with uh, you know, in-language uh 
industry, our entertainment work. And so Charlie and Johnny, Charlie was working heavily in this community and Johnny too, you know, and, but also he was breaking out in Hollywood as a stuntman. He was Spider-Man in one of the Tobey Maguire movies, for example. But, you know, I think, you know, looking at opportunities, especially for an Asian American actor and also Vietnamese American actor, they saw opportunities to go back to Vietnam and really work on their magnum opus action martial arts movies because that's what they were. Johnny is a, you know, a martial arts practitioner himself. They wanted to do something like that. And, you know, what they did was very pioneering because they were really the first Vietnamese Americans who really made a mark. They brought their entire, almost the entire staff was all from Orange County going to Vietnam and just basically almost killing themselves making this movie. <laughs> so period piece, French colonial, takes place in the 1920s. It's an action movie shot in remote locations, you know, it wasn't like in the city or per se. So I think in their own way, they kind of trucked into their own heart of darkness type of journey <laughs> making this film. I mean, they were shooting on film. They were shooting on 35 millimeter, so, which was a challenge in itself. In the end, they just made an epic action movie that really put Vietnam on the map and really got them noticed with a lot of producers here in the U.S. The Weinstein Company picked it up. Oh, really? Part of the Dragon Dynasty action label. Weinstein's plus Bay Logan is like the oh, most and, disgraced. Uh, yeah, and, and Bay Logan. <laughs> yes, exactly. Yes. I think you're absolutely right in you said that this is a landmark movie, like the game changed after this. But I'm curious if you can compare the Rebel, um, its production and its reception to the instances before of Vietnamese Americans going to Vietnam to make films. So I'm thinking like the Bowie Brothers with something like Three Seasons in 1999. Yeah. Vietnamese Americans working in Vietnam. So that was happening. What made the Rebel different from what the Bowie Brothers were doing previously? Uh, you know, with, with the Bowie Brothers, you know, with Three Seasons and also for them, like Chanan Hung from France, you know, making Son of Green Papaya, which wasn't shot in Vietnam. Ciclo and all these films, they were made for more of an international audience. You know, they were considered foreign productions. And the Vietnamese film industry, pre-Rebel, is basically state-owned. You know, like all the studios were all state-owned and, made, you know, and state-run. And they were more there, you know, to make essentially propaganda movies, you know. So what the Rebel did was that Vietnamese American filmmakers, but also local filmmakers as well, followed the rebel and it really kind of transformed the industry from being primarily state-owned to being privatized you know and uh and commercializing the industry in itself so because of the rebel because of its impact when you look at today 2018 the film industry is 95 percent privatized and then you have this whole wave of Vietnamese american filmmakers who have relocated to vietnam to work there and it's a you know like like vietnam in itself and Southeast Asia is a booming economy and was, uh, you know, the population, the GDP goes higher, entertainment becomes a bigger factor. What gave a bunch of Vietnamese Americans who were outsiders to it the courage or the audacity to make that leap and feel like they can do something in a different way in Vietnam? Uh, first and foremost, I think it's kind of this perfect formula or situation where the Vietnamese American community, a lot of these, like, you know, basically children of refugees, right? You know, boat people, what have you. They all lived in Southern California and they all had dreams of going to Hollywood and a lot of them went to film school. <laughs> mm. But, you know, like, you know, the opportunities were difficult. I mean, for any indie filmmaker trying to break out, uh, especially Asian American filmmakers. So, you know, I think uh, because a lot of them were able to speak at home in Vietnamese and stuff like that, it's just an opportunity for them to go back. And I think, uh, you know, I mean, there's always resistance, so to speak, when it comes to like, oh, you know, the, the culture clash between, you know, locals and overseas. And there were instances, of course, of some American filmmakers failing because their films were not local enough, right? But for the most part, I think a lot of the producers or financiers or what have you, 
in Vietnam saw an opportunity because, you know, this is kind of starting from scratch, from a clean slate. You know, this is like new territory for them. You know, it's very much like the Wild West because for the longest time, the industry was done this way, you know, or it was state run, you know. So having that opportunity to work with trained filmmakers, so to speak, and you know, just figured it out themselves. And The Rebel was a, a major part of it. And Charlie and Johnny now live full-time in Vietnam. Charlie Wynn is one of the most successful directors in Vietnam right now. And what they did was pretty compelling in starting this whole movement. Yeah, it's pretty intense if you think about it, because it was only 10, 11 years ago yeah. for an industry to completely transform in the last 10 years because of Vietnamese Americans. And you talk about the clashes between locals and overseas people, which is a theme that we've revisited in this season, and this idea of films being local enough, so they kind of cross barriers in a sense. And I think of the Vietnamese American filmmakers in Vietnam as being very mainstream there, is that right? Yes. Yeah, yeah. Which I think is a little bit different than some of the other Asian Americans who have gone back to Asia and been very successful. There's obviously been examples, other examples in different countries. But yeah, there's just so many examples of Vietnamese Americans that are huge stars, like the biggest directors in Vietnam, the biggest actors in Vietnam. And I'm wondering, like, how did they figure out how to make their films local? You know, because in some places, that's a mystery. Like, how do you crack the code, right? Yeah. I mean, you know, for like a filmmaker like Charlie Nguyen or like another filmmaker like Victor Vu, mm. you know, who's also a very popular, very successful director working in Vietnam. And he's from Southern California himself. He went to LMU, I believe. The advantage for them is like they live born and raised in Little Saigon. And I think that helps. I mean, in a way, they're very much a bubble, you know, working and living and speaking Vietnamese mm. was a great help for them. And also them living in Vietnam full time, they mm. get familiar with the lay of the land, cultural nuances and trends and what have you. I know in the very beginning, in their earlier films, they would always work with a local screenwriter, local partner who would localize it. For example, like language idioms and what have you that are very specific to Vietnam. But, you know, I think as years go, for example, Victor, I know when he writes scripts, he used to write in English and to get it translated and localized. But now he's comfortable enough to just write directly in Vietnamese, you know, so that's a great advantage. But, you know, for them, you know, just surrounding themselves with other team members who are born and raised in Vietnam, that helps with the localization process. Were they stigmatized in any way? Uh, yeah, I mean, you know, it's funny. You know, you look at, you know, there is a stigmatization. It's even funny, like even in the press, they always will say like overseas Vietnamese, you know, Viet Q is the, the word for overseas Vietnamese. So they'll always identify that, you know, which is interesting. What's the stereotype of Vietnamese Americans in Vietnam? Oh, you know, that are loud and boring. <laughs> they think they know everything, you know, you know, the usual stuff. That's probably similar to the <laughs> Chinese, Taiwanese American stereotypes. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, or just yeah, American yeah. stereotypes in general. I just say, yeah, flashy and all that stuff. I think yeah. they're so cool. Yeah. Related to how is their Vietnamese? Like, I don't understand Vietnamese. When I'm listening to Dustin Nguyen in The Rebel, I have to wonder, like, how good is his Vietnamese? Oh, you know, my Vietnamese is terrible, but, you know, like... Uh, <laughs> or I guess, like, do they have accents? Yeah, there are slight accents. For Dustin, I think they speak like locals now, for sure. For the Rebel, for the most part, I mean, if I was a local Vietnamese or what have you, I wouldn't notice any accents, oh. I'll say. Oh. Yeah, yeah. Oh, that's great. I think that's a huge barrier. I think for a lot of Asian Americans who are working abroad, the accent is very noticeable. Yeah, no, for sure. And then, you know, there are other instances, other examples of films that had overseas Vietnamese actors and incorporating the story like, you know, that character is from Germany or the U.S. or something like that. And then they'll throw in something like, oh, yeah, what? What did you say? You know, oh, yeah, you're, you're I forget, you're, you're from overseas. <laughs> incorporate that in the story and stuff like that. So 
so that's interesting because it's not just like who is making the films that's transformed, but it's the content itself is changing and is globalizing as a result of this infusion of new people. Yeah, yeah, for sure. It's, it's funny too, like the video industry in itself is growing. Now there are instances of films being directed by non-Vietnamese directors. That's also an interesting thing mm -hmm. to see. In Vietnam? In Vietnam, yeah. Oh, yeah. interesting. So a perfect example is Ken Ochiai, who's oh, oh. in Japan, but, you know, uh, he's based in L.A. So he's already done two features in Vietnam. Really? That wow. The second feature is going to be opening uh, December in Vietnam. Oh, cool. And they're completely made for the local market. Mm. Yeah. When I was watching The Rebel yesterday, I was thinking, could this have been made by a non-overseas person? Like, is there something about even the content and the style that could only have been possible because you have Vietnamese Americans leading the charge? Um, that's a good question. You know, I, I would say probably not. I mean, it would have, I think it wouldn't have been embraced by the Vietnamese audiences. I think part of it is because Charlie and Johnny, their family, just has this rich tradition of, like, martial arts. And also, um, I think they were inspired by stories of their grandfather, who was also a rebel. <laughs> uh, I think that was a lot. A lot of it was inspired by their kind of family backstory. And I think, for one thing, it's a really well-made action movie. Yeah, I can see, like, maybe a Hong Kong director could mimic that. But I think for, in the sense of, like, with Charlie and Johnny and all these other team members who are Vietnamese who worked on the film, I think just having that kind of like uh, shorthand culturally or language wise it just kind of permeated in the film and uh, just made it very Vietnamese in my opinion there's a couple of characters in the film that spent time in France there's a French connection and, and it's almost like a, a diaspora connection like that Vietnamese wait before we say that we didn't really get that in depth about the plot <laughs> Brian do you want to sort of set that up a little bit Without going into too much detail, the film was about a rebellion against the French colonizers, and there is some tension between the local village-type rebels with some Vietnamese who have been complicit with the French colonial government, and hence you have these characters who have spent some time in France. Yeah, and Johnny plays the kind of lead officer who works for the French government, and then he aligns himself with the rebel's daughter, played by Veronica Ngo. And, you know, they face their French oppressors at the end in <laughs> this big melee of action and, and destruction and stuff like that. So let me just throw in that people might know Veronica known now for her role in Star Wars. Yeah, The Last Jedi. Paige Tico. Paige Tico, yeah, Rose's sister. She's also someone who was born in Vietnam, but then raised in Norway and then came back to Vietnam for her entertainment career. So yeah. a lot of global people. Yeah, absolutely. She was also on Paris by Night. Yeah. You know? So, yeah, yeah, yeah. You'll probably find old YouTube videos of her performing <laughs> or something. Singing a Michael Jackson song or something like that. So did they bring Paris by Night crew to help make The Rebel? Oh, yeah. A lot of wow. Paris by Night, yeah. Wow, that's pretty cool. Again, you know, we think about Paris, I mean, it's really glitzy and glamorous, but there's also something that's very kind of local and community-minded about it, yeah, as opposed yeah. to The Rebel, which is like world-class studio filmmaking. Yeah. That must have been a huge transition for them. It was, it was. And, you know, I mean, I mean, the, in Paris by Night itself is a very glitzy, it's the creme de la creme of enemies variety shows. Because there are also other companies that do variety shows, and there were like three or four or five of them at the time. But yeah, Paris by Night was a worldwide global phenomenon, especially with the overseas enemies community. 
But yeah, a lot of them worked on variety shows in Orange County. They were green and they were, you know, mistakes made and what have you. But it was miraculous that the end result was, a, you know, it's a great kick-ass uh, action movie. Do you guys remember watching the film for the first time and your impressions? I think I watched it at VC, actually. I think it was a closing night film there. Yeah, that's how I watched oh, did it. Did we watch it together? Probably. Oh, that makes sense. Were you there too, Anderson? Probably. But I, you know, I watched it. Um, it was the opening night film for the Vietnamese Film Festival in Orange County. Yeah, I think that was the world premiere. The world premiere, yeah. And it was playing at the Irvine University Cinemas across the street from UC Irvine. Yeah. Oh. I remember all three theaters wow. and the print was still wet, you know. Uh, it was exciting. It was exciting. It was like, uh, it was basically a hometown screening for them. Coming back to Orange County, you know, and showing this film and like, yeah, it, just, it was just really fun. It was just, I remember it was being very memorable. There was a lot of, uh, electricity in the air and uh it was it was great it was great it was a very appreciative audience i remember just that move she does over and over veronica where she like jumps in the air gets her thighs around the bad guy's neck and then twists and then like basically like drags him down and she does that over and over again i could watch her do that over and over again it's just so cool that's like my biggest memory from the film i think just kind of watching her do that move and be so badass yeah yeah that and that johnny's bicycle kick and all that stuff yeah 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 definitely how many times can you kick somebody in the same jump yeah. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Uh, a lot. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> so I remember the first time I heard about the film. Journey for the Fall was coming out theatrically in Orange County, and we were interviewing Ham Tran. And I feel like all he really wanted to talk about was The Rebel. Like, he could not wait to tell me about The Rebel. Oh, that sounds familiar. And then, like, he edited the film, too. He edited yeah, the so Rebel. I think he was, like, yeah. steeped into the editing of it. Because it wasn't, I don't think it was done at the point at that point, or, yeah. or they were cutting yeah. something. Right. And he just couldn't wait to show me some footage. And I remember looking at it thinking, this is a complete or seemingly complete 180 degrees from Journey from the Fall. Yeah. And I think up to yeah. this point, when you watch things like First Morning, like a lot of these the great works of Vietnamese American filmmakers, you think about them as having a sort of independent minded, sometimes a politically minded. Sure. And then for it to turn then to something that's like pure escapist entertainment. I wasn't faulting them for that, but just thinking like, wow, this is a this is a big turn. Do you recall any, not necessarily resistance, but people who are wondering like, oh, is this the direction you're going in now from the community? I don't think there was resistance because, you know, honestly, like, I think, you know, the community, I mean, just like any audience member, like off the street, they want to see commercial movies, you know, like for them, it's like Journey was different. But like, you know, like, say, First Morning, you know, it's still a very small, independent movie, you know, people in Los Angeles, like, oh, yeah, this is for us, but... You know, it'd be really great if they, you know, really broke out into the scene. And I think it's like making commercial films just seemed like uh, partly, you know, good business sense, you know. And secondly, oh, this is like something that I could take my parents to go see or my grandparents to go see. I think for the most part, I think the community embraced that. Yeah, I would imagine it's sort of like, yeah, Justin Lin doing Better Luck Tomorrow is pretty cool. But Star Trek is also pretty cool, you know. (laughs) (laughs) Sure. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I can also imagine it gets really tiresome to have to navigate the tricky politics of the Vietnamese American community and the Vietnam community, like film after film. So let's oh. just do something that everyone embraces. 
Absolutely. There's a lot of nuances, you know, like, it's, I mean, like, for example, the rebel, you know, the main character, Johnny, plays an officer who works for the French government, you know, but he sees errors as, as ways. So there's nuances, you know, like, it's like, he's not part of the oppression, you know, so to speak. There are instances of other films down the line, you know, there are police officer characters. And for the Vietnamese American community, they see them as part of the communist regime. Or even like, there have been instances of, you know, some frames being snipped because, you know, there's like maybe an exterior shot and you see a communist flag on a utility pole or something like that there are instances like that where you know that has to be modified if they want to show it in little saigon for example so it is in a sense like the self-censoring type of thing and trying to service two communities you know or several communities i think speaking of ham tran and thinking of journey from the fall and the polar opposite of that i think the polar opposite is more how to fight in six inch heels <laughs> which <laughs> which i love but yeah i think it's really cool to see that he can do so many different genres you know yeah and then you know Hammond himself i think journey was very much the film he needed to make mm-hmm. you know mm-hmm. but just knowing him i'm a good friend of ham and i worked with him on a couple of movies that he directed you know i think in his heart of hearts he's a very he he loves rom-coms and he loves horror movies and what have you. So I think it's like, you know, um, in his heart of hearts, he just loves more of these crowd-pleasing type of genres. Yeah, just knowing Ham and his sense of humor. Yeah. She's the Boss is such a Ham. Like, that's his personality. Like, more, uh, more so than something Absolutely. like Journey to the Fall. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. So we've mentioned some big names so far. Ham, Tran, Charlie Wynn, Victor Vu. And these are all directors. Yeah. Um, and I think it's more than just Vietnamese-American directors who are going to Vietnam. It's producers. It's editors. It's actors. Can you tell us more of the universe of Vietnamese-Americans? Like, what are some other big names that have crossed over beyond just directing? Oh, yeah. I mean, uh, you know, one of the go-to producers in Vietnam right now is Jenny Chang Lei. She's born and raised in Texas, went to UCLA. She was very much part of the UCLA Couple Noodles comedy troupe uh, with Ham and what have you. And she was definitely in the Asian-American film scene here in Southern California and L.A. And, you know, she worked on The Rebel. Uh, and, you know, that was a great experience for her. And she chopped on an, onto Charlie's next or Johnny's next project, uh, Clash, this follow-up action movie. And and she just decided to make a career out of being a producer or an AD in, in Vietnam. And so she's been there for almost a decade now. And she's another great person because, you know, she's born and raised in the U.S. by her command of language and her understanding of the culture. She kind of can vacillate between two worlds, you know. That's why she's probably one of the most successful working producers there. A lot more, too many to mention. But, you know, like, for example, Bao Nguyen. Mm-hmm. who was, you know, from the East Coast, you know, and he was, went to NYU and SVA. Now he's living and working in Vietnam full time. He's very much a, a global filmmaker because, you know, he works on local projects, a lot of commercials and, you know, uh, music videos, but also working on documentaries in Asia, working on documentaries in the U.S. You know, yeah, he, he did, did the Saturday Night Live documentary. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, that was pretty cool because I'm a big Saturday Night Live fan. I was like, wow, they have like, was I don't was it like the 40th anniversary documentary yeah. and then i saw that he did it. i was like wow that's a pretty sweet gig to get you know to be able <laughs> yeah, to like, interview all the saturday night live folks absolutely yeah live from new york was the documentary and uh it was made for the 40th anniversary yeah but yeah bow's a perfect example of, of someone who is based in vietnam but works on you know literally projects that take him all over the world and i think it's just not only in film but I think in general, like, you know, you just see a lot of, you know what it is? It's like a lot of entrepreneurs, you know, there's people who want to do something like, for example, tech and startups are a big thing in Vietnam now. There's like 
co-working spaces, all these like tech conferences and what have you, and like or, or like restaurant tours, you know, who are Vietnamese American going back to Vietnam too. So it's like a lot of different industries are seeing that trend. I'm wondering. Um, I think when we think about Asian Americans going abroad to Asia and becoming successful there. As Asian Americans, a lot of the times we think, are they going to come back? Or are they going to try to make a move back? And part of that, I think, is like you see a Daniel Henney like being very successful in Korea and you're like, oh, come back. And or like Daniel <laughs> Wu, right? And coming back and doing Into the Badlands. But yeah. there's kind of this other thing where it's like, if there's not as much opportunity here and on the other side, if what you're doing in Asia is really great material, like, why would you want to come back? It's sort of like there's both sides, right? So yeah. I'm wondering, I, I know it's hard to generalize, but like for the Vietnamese Americans that have been so successful in Vietnam, is there ever talk of, is Charlie Lynn going to come to Hollywood? You know what I mean? That kind of thing? Or is it a little bit, is it kind of trickier than that? Yeah, it's a little trickier than that. I think with Charlie, there have been several opportunities for him to work on international project. He was involved with the Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon sequel for Netflix mm, really? as a producer. Yeah. So he worked on that. I, I believe he was supposed to direct a movie with Ronda Rousey or something like that. You know, like, oh, uh, wow. yeah, but it's all through got delayed, but can't speak for all Vietnamese Americans, right, right, but of I, I think there is like a pull, you know, especially nowadays, you know, with the success of Crazy Rich Asians, you know, I think there's always been a, maybe a desire to go back. But, you know, at the same time, it's like, I, I, I see it this way, you know, yeah, I mean, there is a lot of success in Vietnamese cinema now, but, you know, I mean, you know, the costs are still, they're still essentially low budget movies compared to, you know, obviously Hollywood but you know there's that still that very much that independent spirit in a way it's you know I mean you make movie you want to make you can get it done very quickly versus like waiting for maybe years and years to get the right partners or get the right financing so I think it's uh there's that kind of like oh I can I can just do this in like a year you know or like uh, some of these directors shoot two movies a year you know or at least a movie in a year so uh, I think uh there's that kind of like and also the sense of like you know, they're already, I guess, maybe embedded in the industry where they, you know, they, you know, being a stakeholder, like, oh, I, you know, they want to kind of build the industry more mm -hmm. in Vietnam. Mm -hmm. So, you know, there's numerous factors. Right, right. And it seems like, like timing-wise, people are willing to take a risk on Vietnamese cinema right now. I'm thinking about how CJ Entertainment in South Korea is investing a lot in Vietnam co-productions, and Vietnamese Americans have benefited from that. Oh, absolutely. I mean, you know, I mean, Korea, I mean, CJ Entertainment and also CGV Cinemas, their um, cinema subsidiary, they are the biggest theater chain in Vietnam. And in the, I believe the number two chain is Lotte, another Korean company, mm. you know, so it's, 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 it's interesting, you know, like, uh, uh, and it was just, just part of like, you know, kind of South Korea's economic mandate, so to speak, where they're basically um, entering different markets, especially in Southeast Asia, including CJ, you know, with their film library, their whole thing is strategies to make multiple versions, localized versions of one property, you know, for example, Miss Granny, uh, which is a very successful film in Korea. And then they made a Chinese version, they made a Vietnamese version, a Japanese version, a Filipino version, I believe an uh, Indonesian version, and they're going to also make an American version, too. But, you know, I mean, yeah, CJ itself, very big in Indonesia, in Thailand, and now they set up an office in Istanbul. They're moving a lot of employees over to open that office in, in Istanbul and focus on the Turkish market. So that's very interesting to see. So CJ, I mean, they've always kind of thought very globally and yeah. in an expansionist sort of way and creatively about how we can incorporate global elements into their model. 
So you probably remember about 10 years ago, there was an attempt to try to incorporate Korean Americans to mainstream cinemas in Korea, CJ, like with West 32nd and films yeah. like that. And that didn't seem to really go anywhere. I think there was like a year or two where there was some promise of Korean Americans being able to latch on to the Korean wave. Yeah. And that didn't happen. So I'm curious what your thoughts are on this. Like, why was it that the Vietnamese American situation in Vietnam worked, whereas the Korean Americans in Korea, as well as like Asian Americans in other kinds of Asian countries like Taiwan and elsewhere, didn't work as well? Uh, I think, well, you know, I think, I think with, for West 32nd, you know, I think it was still very much a Korean American story. That's why. Set in New York, Korean American characters and actors and what have you. But what in the Vietnam sense, it's still making films for the local market. So in the sense, it's like maintaining that kind of like cultural identity, not to have that disconnect, so to speak, like, oh, this is made by Vietnamese American or this is made by a foreign which is funny because, you know, it's a Korean company. <laughs> but, so I think it's like, you know, I think with, with CJ, basically bottom line, I think it's because of the Hollywood, the, the Korean wave. I think, uh, it's so, the soft power of the Korean wave is so, uh, big in Vietnam and especially in Southeast Asia in general, like with K-pop. All the kids listen to K-pop, you know, there's like Korean fashion, cafe culture and all that stuff. It's not only CJ, but all, all these other Korean brands, Korean beauty products, for example. Korean dramas, you know, um, these are a big part of like like the culture, especially the youth culture now in Vietnam. I mean, not to say that you know the Koreans are colonizing Vietnam. There's quite an element of that. I mean, there, definitely there's an element of that. No, yeah, you know, economically, culturally, for sure. But you know, I think it, it's just because of that soft power, Korea culturally is so revered that I think there's more of an acceptance of that. That's fascinating that like the formula to entertainment success in Vietnam is somehow Hallyu plus VietQ. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Could it have been Hallyu plus local Vietnamese? Yeah, no, I mean, I mean, there's also local Vietnamese directors who are very successful, you know, just as successful as Charlie and Victor. There's one director, his nickname is Fan Cine, and he's born and raised in Vietnam, but, you know, he went to film school in USC, but, you know, he's a big CJ player, you know. He's directed two films for CJ, and they have all been financially successful. Yeah. So there's something also about international training that I imagine is kind of capital and is valued. And yeah. um, earlier we mentioned LMU, and I was looking at it, a lot of Vietnamese American filmmakers went to LMU. I think yeah. Victor went to LMU, Stefan Gager went to LMU, you said yeah. Charlie went to LMU. Yeah. Is, it, is there something and, in the air there, like, like, or is that just a coincidence, you think? I think it's just a coincidence. I mean, also, Tony Bowie went to LMU. Wow. We brothers with him. Yeah, I don't know. I think it's just a coincidence. But, you know, they're going directly to USC, UCLA. I don't know what the LMU connection is. But <laughs> proximity? I don't know. What I Maybe, yeah. So we might as well ask, like, why did you get interested in producing? I mean, you were pretty busy already as a film festival curator. Yeah, I mean, it's again, it's like, uh, I think it's because, well, first of all, like, it's like the producing I did was more creative producing and, you know, working with the filmmaker to work out the story and whatnot, and more of the fun stuff, not necessarily the, you know, kind of the business stuff, which is, which I also had to do. And like, it was terrible for me, but like part of it is because Vietnam allows you to do that. Again, it's like, it just has that the possibilities of making a film pretty quickly uh, and when coming from like raising money to getting a crew together and, and what have you, and, well, of course there was always challenges, but the timeline is so swift. You can get stuff done. Is what was kind of like a drug to me in a way. Like, oh, this is great, you know. Like in that sense, it was kind of like the Wild West, where you know you, we can make something happen. What are we talking about in terms of swiftness? Like, how fast are you talking? Uh, I would <laughs> say like uh, from, from like idea. 
not even like getting the script done, but like from just generating an idea to getting the film released, I would say like in a year. Oh, like, wow. Yeah, yeah. It's, it was pretty crazy. It's pretty crazy. And you can still do that. Can you talk about some of the films that you produced? Sure. One of the films I produced was a horror film called Hollow with Ham Tran. Ham Tran. Uh, oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. And that was a challenge, too, because, you know, I mean, and another thing, you know, the elephant in the room when it comes to Vietnamese cinemas, especially if you're making a, a film for the local market, is that you have to uh, get approval from the censors. It's like China, right? There's a censorship board and all that stuff. And, like, getting the script approved and getting the final cut approved and all that. Mm-hmm. Face challenges, especially with a film like Hollow, because you know, it's a basic ghost possession story. You forget a lot of economic opportunities in Vietnam is booming, but at the same time, it's still a communist regime. And like one of the no-nos when it comes to media or you know, film and TV is that, you know, there are no ghosts. And so that was a challenge to navigate that. I just remember <laughs> flying to Hanoi, where the censorship department is, and then like delivering the DCP and further screening and like, you know, the DCP wasn't working, the KDF <laughs> wasn't working. And I was like, if we miss this window, would it be another month, you know, and and then, you know, the release was, like, literally days away to get that final approval. It was crazy, but we did it. But, yeah, for that film, just getting the script ready in a couple months and, like, getting it into production. I remember working on the script in, I would say, mid-2013 and then, like, shooting in, like, winter of that year and then releasing it the following summer. So do you think... Because, I mean, producing is just one of many things you do. Would you want to produce a film in America with all the complications that come with that? Or is it something about doing a Vietnamese film with potentially, like, one of your friends and you can be creative and just do it really fast? That is more appealing to you. Yeah, that's the, I think that's my limit right there. That's my, you know, (laughs) when it comes to bandwidth, I think, yeah, producing is basically because I'm helping out my friends. (laughs) That's the best, probably. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) Like, somebody's taking care of all the business stuff and worrying about all the other headaches, and you're just trying to help them make the story better in three months. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, basically. And I'd imagine as a Vietnamese American and with all these filmmakers, we have roots in the United States that, the Vietnamese American experience is still one that you value and that you hope to have portrayed on screen more. Has there been any talk to try to use Vietnam slash Korea money to tell the stories of the Viet Q? Um, Big budget kind of, not an independent film. Um, Right now, I think no. I don't think the market is there yet for something like that. When you're doing something about the VidQ, you know, overseas Vietnamese, there's always going to be some kind of politicizing it, you know? Especially if you're working in the in the Vietnamese uh, film industry, you don't do politics and, and whatnot. And those are all kind of like ingrained in working on movies in Vietnam. Right, right. Yeah, it would be hard to avoid the to war make, uh, and refugees. Exactly. <laughs> as yeah, exactly. But again, I think maybe time... I mean, it's been like, you know, 40 plus years now since the fall of Saigon. So I think it's like time is, uh, you know, like, you know it's, I think it's, a, you know, it's only a matter of time. Before the Vietnamese Buffalo Boys. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. As the market increases and the output of films, I mean, you know, budgets will get bigger. And I think, and, you know, in the end of the day, I, mean, I talked about avoiding politics and what have you, but it really is up to the audience what their tastes are. And their tastes are changing a lot, you know, and uh I mean, what's 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 enticing? It's still attractive about Vietnam. 
is that you know as a market you know it's like it's you know it's a, it's a population of almost 100 million people and like half of that population is under 30 oh wow you look at the stat that make up who goes to the theaters every weekend it's primarily young women you know so it's like you know high school college age females you know the films aren't like four quadrant also bringing kids or old people or what have you the primary demographic is still young people so that's fascinating and i think it's just a matter of time before there's that one big breakout film that everyone wants to go see you know that would become like you know the biggest hit of all time. I think it's just it's just a matter of time for that to happen. The next The Rebel, basically. The next The Rebel, yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Thank you so much, Anderson, for being our guest for this episode. I learned a lot. So did I. I know. So you're welcome, listeners. <laughs> for... <laughs> Thanks for having me. It was a fun chat. The Rebel is pretty easy to find. It's on Amazon Prime. I mean, it's it's available for streaming in a lot of the usual places. And it's really fun. Like, the action is fantastic in this movie. Yeah, it's fun. And again, it's like a game changer for the Vietnamese film industry. With good-looking people. Very, very good-looking people. Good sexual and violent energy (laughs) combined. (laughs) From the Vietnamese-American community. Saturday School is a proud member of Potluck, a collective of podcasts that features stories and voices from the Asian American community. It's produced by me and Brian. Our theme song is courtesy of Rimsky Music and Premium Beat. Check out our website at SaturdaySchoolPodcast.com where you can find lecture notes and links to all the films we covered. Or you can tweet us. I'm at Ada Singh, A-D-A-T-S-E-N-G. Brian's at Who's Brian, H-U-S-B-R-I-A-N. And our podcast handle is Wake Up Set. Next week, your assignment is to watch the 2012 film Shanghai Calling. Class dismissed.